Trayvon and his testimony shared with you about the physical diagnosis that he had as a young boy and about some issues that he and his family had gone through this past year. We refer to those as the storms of life. And all of us have either come through a storm, we are in a storm, or whether we realize it or not, we're getting ready to hit into a storm. And the question is, who calms your storm when you go through it? Who calms your storm when you go through it? You know, we live in a day of the greatest technological advances man has ever known. And most of us in here own an iPad or an iPhone or an MP3 player, etc. We communicate through emails, Facebook, text messages, uh, you name it. But with all of the technology that we have, none of it seems to have the ability to produce peace in us. In fact, some of it seems to have the ability to do the exact opposite. The more we interface with it, the less peace we've got. I, I stay off Facebook a lot of times just because everybody I know, a lot of people I know that are into Facebook, they seem tore up about something all the time and mad and all the rest. Our technology can't calm us. Jesus is the only one who can calm the storm. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and verse 35. Because what we're going to see here about how Jesus calms the storm is how Jesus calms the storm in us. As you turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, it had been a very, very busy day for Jesus. It began with a doctrinal controversy that he had to deal with. And then his family came to visit. And a lot of times when families come to visit, it's not peaceful. And in this particular case, Jesus had a large family, brothers and sisters and his mom, and they come and they want to move him from where he is to take him somewhere else, and he doesn't want to go. So uh, they didn't have exactly a warm family reunion when they got together, and so he had to deal with that issue. And then to make things more interesting, he had all this teaching he was doing in this house, and his house was super crowded, which probably meant it was hot because they didn't have air conditioning. So he's teaching there all day long. He decides in these, the evening approaches to move the teaching out to the Sea of Galilee, which would have been cooler, a lot more space. He gets in a boat, he goes out from the, from the shoreline, and he begins to teach the people. And then the day comes to a close. He is worn out. And so Jesus decides, I'm going to take a nice, quiet trip across the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. Now, it's about 11 miles across the Sea of Galilee from the western shore to the eastern shore. And so he gets in the boat. There are some other boats with him, and they begin to make their way Across, he goes to the stern of the boat. Those boats in those days were built with the stern having a platform in the back, and you could lay underneath of it. Often there was a cushion, which he took advantage of, and he goes to sleep. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you in life, but have you ever had one of those experiences? Maybe it was a vacation, maybe it was just an afternoon, but you were going to have a quiet, peaceful time of it. And it turned out to be everything but quiet and peaceful as you had so designed for the event to be. And that's what happens to Jesus. He's going to have this quiet, peaceful evening, and he goes to sleep. 
Now, the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains. It is 682 feet below sea level. The Golan Heights that are on one side of it are some 3,000 feet above. And the, the dynamic there is you have warm air that begins to rise up off of the sea. It collides with cold air that often comes rushing down. And when you collide cold air with warm air, you're going to get some kind of reaction. And what makes it even more vicious is when the cold air comes down, often it rushes down rifts in the mountains. It hits the warm air coming up, and you get violent storms on the Sea of Galilee that come up very quickly. And that's exactly what happens that night. They're out there on the Sea of Galilee making their way across, and a storm comes up. Let's join the story, verse 35 of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let's go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now my sermon outline is contained in the back page of your bulletin. Please follow along if you will. It says in verse 37, that the wind was blowing greatly. The word that's used there is a Greek word, seismos, from which we get seismic. It is the idea that the wind was blowing so hard, it was literally shaking the boat. Notice that the waves were crashing up against the side of the boat, and then they were spilling over into the boat, and they were filling the boat. Now, these guys were experienced fishermen who were in the boat, but the way they are panicking and freaking out, apparently they were not even used to storms that had become as violent as this storm had become. Notice the water is coming into the boat. The storm is not just outside the boat. The storm is now getting inside the boat. Their space, if you will, on the Sea of Galilee is now being invaded by the storm. Now, you're sitting in the boat watching the storm, that's one thing. But when the storm starts getting in the boat and filling up the boat with water, and you know you can't bail fast enough to overcome what the waves are doing, you're in a bad place at that point. And that's exactly what was happening to these folks. You know, all of us in life want to have a safe place. It may be in our family, maybe in our home, maybe on the job, but we have that safe place, that place that we guard and we protect. And if everything's okay in that safe place, then we're okay. You know, we can have storms around us raging, but if, if our marriage is safe, if our home is safe, if the job is safe, if wherever that safe place is, is okay, then we're okay. But what happens when the storm that's out here invades our safe place? 
Some of you that are sitting out there this morning, you've got a storm and the storm has invaded your safe place. The storm has come into the place of your life where you thought you had control and you thought everything was going to be okay and you thought you could keep the storm out. But the storm has pushed its way. It has washed its way. It has forced its way into the safe place in your life. And life is starting to seem out of control. That happens sometimes in our families. It happens in our health. It happens in a friendship. It happens sometimes with a tradition. It can happen in the transitions of life. When we're moving from one place in life to another. And we lose the safe place in the process of the transition in life. It can even happen when our dreams come true, as strange as that sounds. We've got this place in life, this thing we want to do, and we think, man, if I just get there, life is going to be great. And we get to that place, and all of a sudden we realize we've gotten the dream, but even though we've gotten to the dream, we lost the safety in the process of getting there. We're not sure how to get our oars in the water any longer. We're not sure where we are. And that's exactly where the disciples were that night with that storm. The storm on the outside had now come on the inside. Notice what Jesus is doing. He is asleep in the storm. You see, the storm was invading the boat, but the storm could not get into his safe place. No storm ever gets into Jesus' safe place. Because you see, Jesus' safe place was in the boat. But Jesus' safe place was also outside the boat. He's as comfortable in the storm as not being in the storm. Because when you're a Lord of Lords and King of Kings, every place is your safe place. And he was safe in the midst of the storm. You know, Jesus referred to the crucifixion as he was moving up to it as my time. My time is coming. He didn't say the Roman time is coming. He didn't say the Jewish leadership time is coming. He said, my time is coming. What was Jesus saying? He was said, on the cross, when all the sin is dumped on me, when everything's being thrown at me, when it looks like it's all out of control, I am in control. He was as much in control on the cross in the midst of the crucifixion as he was anywhere else. And he knew that when they put his body in the grave, all the grave was doing, all the tomb was doing, was providing a wonderful stage for the resurrection three days later. Because even that grave was his place. There is no place in the universe that is not his place. So folks, when you feel like your safety place is gone and over and been destroyed, don't worry, just get up with Jesus. Because when you get up with Jesus, you're in a safe place as long as you're with Jesus, because he is always in a safe place. Now notice what the disciples do, verse 38. They run up to Jesus, and they yell at him, and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? And there are going to be storms in our lives that we're going to ask that question, Lord, you have fallen asleep. Where are you? What are you up to? What are you doing? Why have you allowed me to get to this place? Several years ago, I was listening to the president of uh, Southeastern Seminary, and he shared that 
He got his, all of his education, got his doctorate. He was all ready to go out and serve the Lord, be a pastor, college professor, or whatever. And he couldn't find a job anywhere. Uh, he found himself working at a job that he had never dreamed he was going to and over somehow or another in a sort of a trash dump area working. And he said, I remember standing there in the midst of all that praying and saying, Lord, I know you're the God of the universe, but frankly, I don't think you got a clue about what to do in my life. Now, I know that doesn't sound real spiritual, but how many of us have been at that place? I know you're the God of the universe, but right now, I'm not sure you got a clue about what you were doing in my life. And that's exactly how those disciples felt. There's a storm raging in Jesus, and you have fallen asleep. And how many times in life do we feel like God falls asleep on us when we least need Him to fall asleep on us? When those times come, your faith's going to be tested in the storm. And know that the Lord has taken you into a new and deeper and richer experience with Him. He wants you to know a greater depth of His power. You see, God is not satisfied to let us have a classroom understanding of who He is. He's going to take us out in what I like to call the wild place of life. And there we're going to learn how sufficient He is. It is easy to sit in a room like this on Sunday morning and to read a story like this and to hear a sermon on like, like this, but it is something else to get out in life when you leave here today and the storm hits and then it's all got to become real and got to become real real fast. And those disciples are like, Jesus, you're the Lord of the universe and we've watched you do all kinds of things, but there's a storm raging right now, Jesus, and you aren't doing a thing about it. Why are you sleeping? Why don't you wake up? Now notice what Jesus does in verse 39. It says, He awoke and He rebuked the wind. He took control. The disciples... Got some stuff wrong, but one thing they didn't get wrong in this story. They knew who they needed to turn control over to. Now, can you imagine if the disciples had decided that they were going to control the storm? I mean, it sounds ludicrous, but can you imagine the disciples trying to control the storm? Or they just said, well, we're experienced fishermen, so let's see if we can't navigate and control this boat in the storm. They did realize that they were a place that they had lost control of everything and the best thing to do is go to the back of the boat and wake Jesus up and get Jesus to do something about this storm. And folks, a lot of us are trying to control the storm. Or we're trying to control our boat in the storm. And the reason we are sinking is because we won't let go of the control and give it to Jesus. We're going to hang on to our lives and try to control our lives even though we know we are sinking. The addiction is taking us down, but we got too much pride to admit that we need help. Jesus, would you wake up and do something and do something quick because this is all out of control and I can't control it. And what does Jesus do? He takes control. Verse 39, look at what he says. Peace be still. First of all, it's a command. He's commanding the elements 
to listen to Him and obey Him. The word there, peace be still, means to muzzle. It means to be quiet. Jesus says, be quiet. And the Bible says there was a great calm. In other words, if you'd been on the Sea of Galilee that night time, just like that, it would have been extremely quiet. Now we read that story and we think, man, that must have been nice. You go from a terrible storm with lightning and thunder and the wind howling to boom, it's quiet. But I want you to think with me about something. Over and over and over again in the Bible, not exclusively, but very often the presence and power of God is found in the quiet. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Jesus produced quiet and they found the power and the glory of God in that quiet. We live in a culture that hates quiet. We despise quiet in our culture. Quiet is considered boring. Quiet is considered nothing is happening. We got to have noise 24-7. Have you noticed the way we live? I get in an automobile and even if I'm driving from my house to the YMCA, which is only going to take me about five minutes. I haven't gotten out of the driveway before I got the CD in there playing big time. Because I got to have noise. Because I'm so conditioned by the culture that I got to have noise. How many of us walk in our house and we turn a radio on, we turn a television on, we get something going because who wants to be in a house where it's quiet? Well, that's the worst thing in the world to be in a house that's quiet. Who wants to be in a car where it's quiet? Who wants to be in a life that's quiet? We got to have noise. We are addicted to noise in American culture. See, folks, one of the reasons we can't find God is not that God's not there. It's that God's too quiet. God's trying. People say, the Lord just doesn't speak to me. The problem is not God's not speaking. The problem is we don't want to listen. Because if God's going to be quiet when He speaks, He's supposed to be noisy. In fact, God is supposed to out-noise the noise or we're not going to listen to Him. When Jesus got out of the hem of the boat, if He'd have done it the way we do in American society today, He'd have gotten to the boat and He'd have said, well, I'm going to make a storm over here that's bigger and louder and more impressive than the storm that's over here so you disciples can sit back and you can look at these two storms and you're really going to know I'm here because look at my storm that I created. He didn't do that. He quieted the one that was there and produced his quiet. Some of us are asking God to create a bigger storm so we can have him impressing us. And God said, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do in your life is produce quiet. And you will find me in the stillness. You will hear me in the quiet. 
Folks, sometimes what we do is God produces quiet, and we're so uncomfortable with the quiet that we try to create a storm. God steps into our life and makes peace, and we are so uncomfortable with the quiet and the peace that what do we do? We go and we got to create a storm. Have you ever been around people that they can walk into a perfectly happy environment and they're unhappy and they're going to find a way to stir it up? I don't care how great things are going. That is what we often do when Jesus tries to produce the quiet and the peace. Notice what Jesus says in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? The word there for fear literally means why are you a coward? Jesus had more trouble calming the storm down inside of them than he did the storm that was outside of them. Why are you so fearful? Jesus is saying, you you heard me teach. You watched me heal sick bodies. You've even today seen all the stuff that I've done. And and why are you still scared? Why are you behaving like a coward? And folks, what we need to do periodically is review what the Lord has done. We used to sing a song, look what the Lord has done. And we need to say that from time. Look what God has done in my life. I don't need to freak out because look what He has done. He created this world. He came to this world. He lived in this world for three and a half years. He healed sick bodies. He raised the dead. They crucified him. Three days later, he arose from the dead. I need to live like he rose from the dead. We are resurrection people. We can live like resurrection people. That we live daily in the power of God and in a Jesus that's not locked up in history, but he's walking with us in every aspect of life. Why are you so fearfully saying the God of the universe is right here with you? We just sang that song before our priest. His resurrection power is resurrecting me. It's not just for history. His power is operative in my life every day. This day they saw his majesty for the first time. Notice verse 41. They ask a question. Who then is this? Who then is this? Who then is this? I love that. You know what I love about that? Because <laughs> they had been asking, man, look, what kind of storm have we got? And when Jesus got through, they weren't asking about the storm anymore. They were asking about him. They stopped asking about how bad the storm was, and they started asking about how great Jesus was. And folks, we know when we've experienced the touch of God in our lives, when we stop concentrating on our storm and we start talking about Him. If we are talking about our storm, then we are focused on our storm. When we start talking about Jesus, then we know that Jesus has stepped into our storm and He has done what only He can do in the storm. Who then is this? They knew that their boat wasn't going to sink and their storm was not going to last forever because Jesus had shown up and spoken 
into the storm. Who then is this? Jesus produced what I call holy curiosity in them. And that's what Jesus wants to produce in us. Holy curiosity. Who is he? What has he done? What kind of power does he have? When is, what's he going to do next? What kind of peace is this? What kind of calm is this that Jesus produces? His holy curiosity. Oh, please hear me on this. We're all in one of three places. We've either got a curiosity about the things of darkness, and so we want to know about what the devil's doing and how he's doing it, and we're consumed with that. Or we have absolutely no curiosity at all in, about what God's doing, and so we just sort of survive through life. Or we got holy curiosity. And holy curiosity means I get up every morning and I'm like, man, he walked out of that grave, he walked into my life, and he is up to something today, and I want to discover what he is up to today. I want to find what he is up to. Situations and problems hit you in the face, and you look at those situations and problems, and instead of just freaking out about them, you say, how is God going to show up in this today, and what is God going to do in this today, and how is God going to react, and where is God in this, and Jesus is Lord in this, and what is his lordship going to mean in this, and I am living in expectation that he is going to do something. Holy curiosity. Who then is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him. Let's pray. Lord, whatever storm we are in this morning, whatever the nature of that storm, we want to thank you that you're in the boat with us. And that Jesus, all we need to do is come to you and say, Lord, Speak your peace into my life. Lord, birth in us, grow in us a holy curiosity to see you and experience you and know you. Lord, you've taken us to the place of the storm because you want us to have a deeper richer experience with you. You are producing within our lives the quiet, even the silence. But we don't need to run from it and try to fill it up with something. We just need to experience your powerful presence bathing us in that silence. Lord, speak your peace into whatever storm we are in. And Lord, we will hear your voice in the quiet. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You've got a storm of guilt and shame.
and the sense that God is so away, so foreign. He wants to speak His peace of forgiveness and restoration and relationship with Him into your life. And in just a moment as we sing, He does not come to your life other than in a soft, tender, gentle way, because that's all we could really handle, and draws us to Himself. And so I want to invite you to come and give your life to Jesus and give all the stuff that you're struggling with over to Him and let Him take control. If the Lord's speaking to your life about being part of our church family here and joining with us on this journey that we're on to serve Jesus, then I invite you to come and be a part. And if the Lord's speaking to you in any other way, feel free to come. And if you need someone to pray with you, we'd be more than glad to meet you here and pray with you. Jesus, you're here. And you're ready to speak into our storm. We just need to reach out to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.